0: well good evening evening. so great to be here we are in the book of philippians and to catch you up paul is writing to a church that he has started here in philippi paul is in prison writing back to this church many years later here and there's something interesting particularly about this church because normally when he's writing to churches there's some big theological or moral issue that is taking place in, in the church he's writing to. But in this particular case, things seem to be going okay for this church. In fact, they're going good. Paul commends them for their obedience. Paul commends them for, for their prayer life. Uh, they're a generous church. They're a giving church. I mean, they're a church that kind of has it going on. They're a missional church. And therein lies the problem. For when things are sometimes good, there's always the temptation that we would settle there. That we just become content. That we would become stagnant. That we would stop pressing down on the gas pedal. That we would just kind of just slack back a little bit and settle in. And Paul is coming to this church in philippi he's saying I, I, I don't want you to settle there I, I don't want you to just become complacent there's more for you i want you to press on and it starts off here in in chapter one he has a, a prayer for his church here in philippi and, and in this prayer it kind of captures paul heart paul's heart as well as his desires for this particular church and you always want to pay attention when when people are praying because it captures their heart their prayers are capturing their heart as well as expressing the 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 desires that they have for you Uh, recently my uh, little girl uh, sarah who's five years old was praying and uh, she started her prayer lord god thank you for daddy thank you for mommy Thank you for Eli. And I knew from there, she was going to name all of her siblings, which there's seven kids that I have. And so this was, so she goes through the list here. And then after she gets through all of her thank yous and I was patiently waiting, I said, honey, you know, why don't you just express to God just how great he is? And she goes, God, you are great. You created everything. You said trees and, and there were trees. You said cars and there were cars, Eh, not quite how it happened. And then she went on and, and she said, Lord God, protect us from the coloring virus. And I thought to myself, well, that's not quite it as well. Coloring virus, you know, kids are so funny when, when they pray, but she was expressing the desires of her heart here. And Paul is expressing the desires of his heart at the very beginning here in this this prayer, he says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best, what is vital, what's a priority, what's most important in your life. and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. It's filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Paul has this deep desire That they would know what is best. They wouldn't settle for less than God's best in their life. That they would press on. That they wouldn't become complacent. And so now we hop forward to chapter 3 in Philippians. And we see that Paul begins to weave this theme of pressing on together with this warning of false teachers. And particularly these false teachers whom Paul calls dogs, evildoers, and mutilators of the flesh, right? I mean, those are like fighting words. You know, Paul's not only expressing what he thinks about these people, but the danger which they possibly have on this church. Now, we kind of have to do a little investigation here, but we assume that this is a group of Judaizers who have come in, zealous Jews, who have placed an overemphasis on the ceremonial aspects of the law, particularly circumcision and the dietary rules and rituals of the law. And it's trying to enforce them upon Christians. And and Paul's about had enough. In fact, in the church in Galatia, I mean, they were getting confused. Am I saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ? Or am I saved because of circumcision? And and, and what happens over here because of what I eat or or what I don't eat? And and so Paul is coming after and, And they're boasting... And the fact that they do all these rules and regulations and rituals and Paul's saying, wait, wait a second. You're going to boast about that? The only thing to boast about is to boast in our Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to have confidence in that and so we pick it up here in chapter three. Though I myself have reason for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I got more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. I consider them waste. I, I consider them just a pile of done here. That I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. No, that really doesn't work. Have you ever tried that? Gaining a righteousness on your own accord, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And then he goes on and he gives us what is best here. He says, I want to know Christ. That's what I want in my life. That's what's best. That's my priority. That's what's most vital. That's what's most important for me. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul has, has an emphasis here a reality that he wants to know Jesus. I want to know Christ. This is my priority. This is this is vital for me. This is important for me. And the key here is, is in the word know. Because it seems kind of contradictory. You know, Paul is saying, I want to know Christ. Well, Paul, don't you already know Christ? Like, why are you saying you want to know Christ? Well, this is not just like a head knowledge to know facts. This is not just some intellectualism of knowing a historical Jesus. This is knowing in an experiential, in a personal way. I want to know. I want to do life with Christ. I want to walk this journey with Christ. I want to experience the fullness and the power of Christ in my life. Some of you might know a professional basketball player named LeBron James. Anybody in the room know LeBron James? How many of you have seen LeBron James on TV? Raise of hands, you've seen LeBron James on TV. Uh, he's a very famous basketball player, played in the NBA, has done uh, lots of commercials and such. And uh, from just seeing him on TV, you might say, "I, I know LeBron James. I had the opportunity and privilege, grew up in rural Ohio, and saw LeBron James play uh, in high school. And so because of that, I could, I, I might say, you know, you just watch him on TV. You really don't know him. I, I got to see him in person. I know LeBron James. But my little brother, uh, who's a stud of a guy, uh, played basketball and guarded LeBron James in the state championship basketball games when my brother was a senior and LeBron was a sophomore. My brother's team lost, by the way. <laughs> LeBron, there's a great picture in the local newspaper. LeBron is doing one of these numbers. And my little brother, who's smaller than I am, is like at his armpit like, ee, it's a great picture. I was like, dude, you should send that off and get LeBron to sign that. He's like, no, I'm embarrassed. My brother would say, "Uh, Ryan, you don't know LeBron James. I know LeBron James. I mean, I smelled his sweat for a whole entire game. I know LeBron James. But LeBron James' best friends and his teammates... Who have played with him for years upon years would, would look at my little brother and say, You don't know LeBron James. I know LeBron James. And LeBron James's kids and his wife would look at all of us and say, You don't know LeBron James. We know LeBron James. And this is what Paul is trying to differentiate here in this particular word. I want to know Christ, not just as some intellectual level here where I know a bunch of facts about Jesus here. I want to experience Jesus. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to have a a personal ongoing encounter with Jesus. I, I I want to to experience the fullness and, and the life of all that Christ has to offer. And, and and here's 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 kind of the the danger. Right, is that for Christians, for us, we can get distracted from that priority. In fact, there's there's a church in Revelation too, which is commended. I mean, they're commended for their good work, they're commended for for you know just all that they do here. But then, but then it goes on and says, "But you have lost your first love." You see, we as believers of Christ can be very active in doing good deeds and and all these things, but lose our first love. And Paul's saying, "Oh." There is something so vital for you to get here and understand. There's something so important I don't want you to miss. I want you to know Christ. There's a, a story of Mary and, and Martha. I love this story here. It's a found in, in Luke 10. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha, watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this. She was what? She was distracted. (laughs) Wait a second, you got the Lord in your house? (laughs) And you're what? She was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Now, I love this, this is such a good story. She came to him, to Jesus. And ask them, now I can just see here with a little bit of attitude in this, can't you? Like, Lord, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Don't you care? Tell her to help me. Now watch this. When Jesus says your name twice, you ever have your mom say your name twice or use your middle name? Ryan, David, oh boy, I'm in trouble. Martha, Martha. The Lord answered. Now watch this. You are worried and upset. How often do we live in that reality? Worried and upset. Distracted, worried and upset. About many things. He goes on. And he goes on. (laughs) And he goes on to the next slide. Nope. Back up one. We'll get it here. I got it right here. He says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Mary has chosen what is better. You know what that tells me? There's less than God's best that we can choose. And here... Mary has chosen the better. Mary has chosen what is best. Now, this is a reality here in, in my own life because I've seen this play out. Where I have not chosen the best. When I became a Christian at the age of 17, I don't know if you had this happen when you became a Christian, but I had... I, I was on fire. I was so excited and I was just pumped and I wanted to take action on, on my faith and such. And so I asked people like, what do I do? And people told me, go to church and read your Bible. And I was like, sounds like, sounds like a good thing. And so I went to church and I, and I read my Bible. And then the next week, and you know, I'd go to church and read. My, now, I, I, I want to be clear here. There's nothing wrong with going to church and reading your Bible. I'm a huge, huge proponent of going to church and reading your Bible. Do not mistake what I'm about to say here. But is that the primary thing of our faith? To go to church and read our Bible? Is that that what Christ died for so we could go to church and read the Bible? Or is going to church and reading the Bible supposed to help us in the reality of knowing Christ and experiencing Christ and having a personal encounter with Christ, that we would know the power of Christ in our life, that we would walk with Christ, not just some intellectual knowledge, not just some facts about Jesus? I mean, it's the difference between knowing Jesus heals the brokenhearted, and having jesus heal your broken heart it's the difference between between jesus knowing that jesus sets the captives free and having the captives having freedom yourself it's the difference between seeing jesus loves you and having Jesus' love pierce your heart with his amazing grace god wants to encounter you and if you've gotten into a rut like I got into where, you're, where you think it's all about just going to church and reading your Bible, going to church and reading your Bible, you will begin to spiritually become empty. And you'll wonder, why am I so empty? I'm doing all the right things. And Paul wants to just tap us on the shoulder and just remind us tonight, tonight, there's one thing that's needed, and that's to know Christ. Amen. So it kind of, you know, begs the question, like, at what point Paul is like enough enough? Like, when do you, when do you like know Jesus enough? Well, this is what he, he says here. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I press on towards the goal. Now, there's this beautiful image that Paul is painting here of like chasing and and pursuing and and just going after and like running this race. And specifically in Greco-Roman times, the, the track that the runners would race in wasn't like an oval like we see today. There was a like a rectangular field and on this rectangular field that had sand on it. The runners would set up, and it was about a 200-yard run towards the end of this field that was of sand. And they would say go or whatever the, you know they would do at the time, bane rocks together, I don't know. And, and they would run down in a straight line. Well, if it was, that was the 200-meter race. If it was a 400-meter race, they would set a pole in a little stone, that had a a little cutout in it, they would set a pole in that stone. And then your object and your goal was to run down and go around that pole and then run back. And so here, Paul is saying, there's there's a goal here. There's this like, this pole. And, And you can see how important that pole would be if you're running a race, right? You would have to have what? You would have to have your eyes fixed on that pole you're going to be distracted If you start to run this way you're going to lose the race now in some stadiums they had multiple poles and so you just go run run around your singular pole and other stadiums they had multiple poles you know and or just one pole and everybody would run around and so it just varied upon stadium to stadium that this would happen and paul says here in in hebrews 12 watch this this is this is good this is good watch this therefore since we're surrounded by such a a cloud of witnesses we got the crowd right you Let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. So the question is I mean, it begs the question what do you have your eyes fixed on? Is it, do you have your eyes fixed on like maybe something good, right? Like going to church and reading your Bible. Good things, but Paul wants to say like, that's not like, that's helping us to a greater reality to know Christ. Do you have your eyes fixed on the world and the things of the world? Like, where do you have your eyes? Like, where have you set that that pivotal moment, the that, that stake in the sand that says, you know, I, I'm looking there. I'm looking to Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, it, it, after they would win, the, win the, the, the race, they would simply get a, a crown that was made of like olive leaves. And that was it. There's no big fancy metal trophy or such. But then then they went home to their hometown city. Because they had won the race, they were set for life. Just like a modern day athlete. I mean, they got I mean, they got a free ride basically. I mean, they got statues and people gave them money. I mean, it was unbelievable what if you won the Olympic race, what you got back in your hometown. I mean, you were set for life. Our prize as believers in Christ, is in heaven. James 1, uh, twelve says that we will receive a crown of life. And therefore, as we prepare our hearts for what we were, will encounter in heaven, it's vitally important what we do in the here and now. Paul goes on here in this next passage and he says this. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently that you too, that, that, that too, God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already obtained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you and before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. heaven is real. Right? I mean, it is real. It is real as real can get. That is a reality that heaven is real. And those who are in Christ, Paul says, you're a citizen. You're a citizen of that kingdom. You're a citizen of that reality. Our destination determines our preparation. That's so true. Our destination determines our preparation. Our destination determines our preparation. We're going to go to the beach, right? We're going to go to the beach. That's our destination. And I say, hey, everybody, we're going to go to the beach. It's going to be so much fun. You're going to begin to prepare based on that destination. The destination determines the preparation if I said, hey, we're going to go camping. Now, I realize some of you are g- campers, right? How many of you are campers? Like, legit campers. Raise the hands. How many of you are glampers? Yeah, it's, it's, it's up beer? Like, it better have air conditioning or I'm not going, right? <laughs> Bugs? No, thank you. So, so there's campers and there's glampers. But if I said, hey, we're, our destination is going camping, let's go on this trip, the destination would determine the preparation. If I said, hey, we're going to go hiking in the mountains, You would pack differently, right? You prepare differently. The destination determines the preparation. As followers of Christ, we're going to go to heaven. That's our destination. So therefore, if that's our destination, what is our preparation? And Paul is saying, you better know Christ. That's so important. That's so vital. And then I love it here because he just doesn't leave us hanging there. He gives us actually three practical pieces here. And, and, and the first one is to simply seek out godly role models, to seek out godly role models. The passage here in verse 17 simply says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. That we would seek out godly role models. When I was little, I wanted to be Batman. I don't know if any of you ever, you know, want to be like a superhero. But thank goodness I grew up, right? And my role models changed. And I began to seek out godly men in my life who made a huge impact. They didn't come to me. I had to seek them out. I had to seek out Mike, who who, who taught me how to love the unlovable. I, I sought out Troy, who taught me what it was like to live a life of obedience and perseverance. I sought out Bill, who taught me how to go in my closet and pray to the Lord God Almighty and cry out to him. Number two, that we would set... Your mind, set your mind on heavenly things. Paul says it in the negative here in verse 19. He says, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is, is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Colossians spins it around in the positive here in Colossians 3.1. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart, your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. That we would have like a compass. That our lives would be pointed in a a specific direction. And that direction is heaven. That we would set our minds and our hearts on things above. And then finally, number three here. That we eagerly await our Savior he specifically says this here in verse in 2nd Peter 3:10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. And since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you ought to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. That we would not only know Christ, but through knowing Christ, we would become Christ like. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, and that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness will dwell. And it's not our righteousness. It's the righteousness that we receive by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. This is a beautiful picture here in in Revelation 21. I mean, don't read that passage right before you go to bed, right? It's like, hey kids, let's read the passage. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. There's like this collision of heaven and earth here. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. This is true and this is trustworthy. This is a reality that will occur. This is not just, oh, maybe this will happen. We hope this will happen. This is a reality that will take place. And we have our citizenship in heaven. I can't wait. Can you? My uh, son, Eli, um, he was three years old at the time, and we were living in Ohio, and we came down during uh, February, where it was all cold in Ohio, down to Florida, central Florida, and we went on vacation uh, in the central Orlando area. And when we went on vacation, we didn't have a, a hardly a nickel to her name. And so, I mean, it was, you know, just by the grace of God that we got down here and then, you know, I found a place to stay and such. And, and uh, so we were down here and we were trying to find things that were free or cheap to do while you take one of those vacations, like, <laughs> you know, like you go on vacations, like, okay, what, what can we do here? That's free. <laughs> you know, So, so we, we go on this vacation. We're trying to just find like what as uh, just cheap as possible or free. And we found out that you can go to Disney world's resorts and you don't have to pay to get in to the resorts, right? I mean, you're not staying there. You're just going and looking around and, and then, you know, in the gift shops and everything. And then, you know, you leave. But I, we just thought, hey, that's cool. And so people talked us about the Polynesian Resort and how cool that was. And so I said, hey, let's go to the Polynesian Resort. And so we go to the Polynesian Resort and, and then we rode the monorail. How fun is that, right? The monorail. And then we got to the entrance of Disney and we just stood there. And like, I just wanted to cry, you know, it's just like, I, my three-year-old, I so badly want to go in. And I was just like heartbroken, just heartbroken. And so we get on, we get on this little boat thing. Then instead of taking the monorail back, we we get a boat ride. And so we take the boat back and, and we, we are packing up and going into the, into the car. and, And my little son, Eli, looks at me and he was confused of what just happened. Kind of misunderstood what just happened And he said Daddy I love Disney World That was so much fun I love you so much And I just wanted to say to him I didn't I just wanted to say to him Oh buddy There's so much more There's so much more what you just experienced. We didn't even go inside the gate. <laughs> like, we didn't ride any rides. Like, we didn't do it. Like, you just, tiny, tiny piece. I think sometimes Paul just, like, wants to wrap his arm around us because we can just so easily just get distracted and focused on the wrong things, can't we? And Paul just wants to kind of put his arm around us and just gently say, come on, to know Christ to know Christ let's, let's come back and it's going to be so great we get just this tiny glimpse uh, in First John where it says dear friends we are, or we, we are now children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known We're just, we just get like little tiny glimpse of it here but we do know that when Christ appears we shall be like him For we shall see him as he is. Here's my challenge to you. What would it look like this next year if you set your highest priority to just simply know Jesus? Your number one priority. I'm going to know Jesus. Above all else, I'm going to know Jesus. What would next month look like for you? What would tomorrow look like for you if you just set out as your number one priority I'm going to know Jesus. Not just some intellectual, I'm going to read some facts about Jesus, but a life transforming, personal encounter with the living, resurrected Christ. Amen? All right, let's go out and do that. Let's pray. Lord God, I ask that you would make that a reality in our lives, that we would be like Paul, that we would not settle, that we would not become complacent, that we would not just simply let off the gas pedal, but that you would stir our hearts. We desire you. We want to know you, Lord. We want to know your power. We want to experience you, Lord. We don't want to just talk about you like you're not in the room. You are here. You are alive and you are well. And so our hearts tonight, Lord, cry out and ask that we would press forward here. That we would make a commitment to know you. Above all else, Lord, we thank you for that which awaits us in heaven, Lord, that you have gone and prepared a, a home for us, a room for us, that just is going to blow us away. And and the joy that that brings, the hope that we have, Lord, and, and as we think about just all the stuff that's happened in the world, Lord, we can grasp onto that truth and that reality that you have a crown of life for us. And we give you praise, glory, and honor for that reality. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we give you all the praise and glory. Amen. Amen. Blessings. Go and be doers of the word. Amen.